This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. What if, what if, and I see this story in the Toronto Star this morning uh, about people afraid to speak up about racist incidents and hate and discrimination on their university and college campuses. Is an investigative report by three reporters, and I started to read it yesterday in the late afternoon. So just follow me here. What if, and I'm not saying we should scrap it all today, but what if diversity, equity, and inclusion, training, efforts, focus, actually create more intolerance? What a concept that that would actually be the case. I think we call that a paradox. I'm quite sure that we would. Diversity training exacerbates racism and intolerance couldn't be could it well let me lay this out for you in terms of the numbers that are being discussed in some student and faculty surveys when you get to college and university now most of what we're talking about with dei in the workplace is ends up being focused on adults but you've heard me say this before and i i have kids in the high school system and i have no reason to exaggerate or minimize i have no reason to Okay. Now, who think about who would have reason to not want you to know the whole and complete truth? Maybe, maybe educators, maybe like like speaking publicly about it. They couldn't say what I say. They couldn't say what I'm saying right now. I don't think people um, in education administration. I don't think people that work for the school boards. I don't think superintendents. I don't think politicians can necessarily say what I'm going to say. But I will tell you that we've never had more training for the adults and the kids, for teenagers and grown-ups. We've never had more training to be respectful, to be honest about what we see around us, see something, say something, to encourage and value diversity. That's really important to me. Cultural pride is important. You should be proud of who you are and where you came from. And we should never diminish that. Thus, ergo, if you will, I don't love the concept of sitting and having somebody demean me for the color of my skin. I'm Caucasian, by the way. And that said, this where this seems to be going great, to be honest, is discussing residential schools. I actually think the balance is proper when it comes to how we're talking about red schools. We blew it. We blew it. Many of our ancestors including our own parents, because I've told you this story before. I sat with them on the front lawn of their house in the summer of 21, and they both taught and they both cared about these issues tremendously. And they said, this one got past us and was no excuse for it. It's unacceptable. We uh, like, like we, we didn't get this done. We didn't have enough conversations about what was happening around us. So um, it's a weird one, but this survey now documents that Canadian students won't speak up about hate and discrimination. There's two things, two reasons they won't do it. Why? Well, they worry they won't be believed, which we have to get past. We're starting to get past that now in terms of sexual harassment, sexual assault, um, being terrible in um, some kind of environment like a workplace, even like a home, even like a sports team. We're, we're speaking up and saying, Hey, that's no good. That behavior is no good. 
That physical action is certainly no good. That joke is no good. We are doing that more. But um, 30,000 people responded to 17 separate student and faculty surveys from the Toronto Star and the Investigative Journalism Bureau. And what they found is schools had less of an ability and willingness to respond forcefully to these incidents. And what does that do? It increases the abusive conduct and people won't report. More abusive conduct, less people reporting it. Here's what uh, a 19-year-old named uh, Natty Pressman says. She's Jewish, 19. She goes to Queens. She's a, a sophomore there. Golden Gales, all that. Because you're seeing incident after incident, many students think reporting doesn't do anything. That's exactly right. But the fact that it's reported is still super important, and I think that really needs to be emphasized. Universities will do this. They'll condemn acts. There's no place at this school for anti-Semitism. There's no place at this school for anti-black racism. There's no, there's no place at this school for this discrimination and that discrimination. But here's what the problem is. Here's what the problem is, is that much of this training that is happening prior to going might, might be doing more harm than good. I think we're getting this right when it comes to looking at, at, at historical situations and saying, oh, we could learn from that. We need to be better from that. And, and by the way, let's during our training, if, if we were really committed to it, we would foster the idea of debate. We would foster the idea of making sure that your workplace or your school or whatever look like the community around you. This type of diversity training that seems to be currently in vogue that is getting much debated based on Richard Bilkstow's suicide that the TDSB aspired to with the Kojo Institute. Um, that that is not what's happening. In essence, mandatory training. Let's blame dominant groups for DEI problems. Do you think that's going to have a more positive effect or a more negative effect? I mean, call me absolutely crazy here. I like to deal with racism in a practical way. I abhor it. I, I find it gross and disgusting. I don't think I have a single friend, colleague, anything that I consider a racist. And that's by design. It's no good. It makes me furious. And sometimes I feel powerless to do anything, but I can confront that person or I can stop having anything to do with that person. I think we should foster a sense of cultural pride and not point the finger of blame. I think we should tackle racism where we indeed see it. I think we should make it clear that a racist act can be not just an unacceptable act, but an illegal act. And we should talk about and have conversations about the impact and the effect. Lead by example. That slur is no good ever. That joke is no good anymore. And it's zero tolerance. But there's being supportive and there's people feeling like you've lost me here. You're yelling at me. You're calling me out. You've got a belief about me because of my color of skin. I mean, the last time I checked... That's racism. I find it interesting that somehow, some way, everything that is being worked on seems to not be uh, having the effect that was planned. So you do wonder if it needs to be tweaked. You do wonder if it needs to be tweaked. Not dropped, tweaked. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Where this Greenbelt thing goes, I, I absolutely am not sure. Um, I don't know how... 
big this could be. And I think about how, at least for the most part, in the last year and a half, I don't know how things could have gone better for a provincial government. And I think part of what's gone well for the Ford government is nothing nothing has stuck to them. Things will always stick to governments, okay? I'm not I'm not absolutely barbecuing what the Ford government has done in terms of policy and public reaction towards policy. But if you can think of something in the last year and a half before the green belt which just sort of landed stuck that they either didn't reverse course on, didn't decide to forge ahead and do get things done. Um, and part of also their lack of criticism is I would call it the ineptness of the last two. I document this a lot. The ineptness of the campaign to unseat Doug Ford in 2022 because it was that it had a leader in the NDP that probably stayed stayed in that election too long. And Andrea Horvath, who's now the mayor of Hamilton, she might even admit that in an honest moment. And sometimes politicians do stay one election too long. That's for sure. OK, um, and and probably a leader picked out of a group during covid times for the liberals that just was still going to absorb some body blows based on frustration over 15 years of the liberals being in power uh especially the last few years of kathleen Wynne. you've heard me say this before kathleen Wynne should absolutely not have run in 2018 she should have got right out of the way as quickly as possible and it probably cost the liberals eight to ten extra seats that she ran as premier and her strategy during the campaign uh, similarly so. But I don't know where this is. I don't know if this is the first quote unquote scandal for the Ford government. I can't get a feel for it just yet. 11 a.m. today and the reaction and the fallout from it will end up telling us a lot more is if this keeps sticking to Doug Ford, does Doug Ford push it then to somebody else? Does he push it to Steve Clark? Does he push it to another cabinet minister? Is the report damning enough that someone takes the fall and there's a cabinet shuffle? You just saw this with the federal government. There's enough out there with a mess up here on this on this bill. Bill C-18 looks like it was a huge miscalculation by the federal government. It looks like a massive miscalculation. Um, Paul Bernardo, Chinese election interference. Han Dong out of uh, out of cabinet, or rather out of caucus. There's more than enough issues. And how angry will the public be? And what can they do with that anger until there's actually a damn election? If you're like, ah, oh, Doug Ford, his developer friends, don't care about the environment. He's just helping out his rich buddies. He's super connected and just working for millionaires and multimillionaires to create more millions for themselves. And they leave us out and they have no interest in conserving the environment. And all they want to do is exploit it. If that's the general feel. Fine, but I don't know what you do with it in the process. We're not a year away from an election. We don't even have it looming over us potentially like we do in the federal circumstances. So I'm real curious to see where this ends up going today. I don't have a feel for it, quite obviously, but I think we'll have a much better feel for it around 1130 today. I have no idea how it's not going to be somewhat scathing, but will that be about the technicality of of the land or will this be a massive statement from Bonnie uh, Lysick to basically say this was unethical, this was unconscionable, this was a real dirty deal? I don't know. 
I don't know. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Cam Guthrie, the mayor of Guelph, coming up in just a second. But we did promise you, uh, we saw this video from a CBC report about a student at Guelph University who was looking for a room. Now, now I, I think that the struggle is real. I, I think she's documenting some of what happened to her. Do I make a video? I don't know. Um, would I have done that in 1993 if I couldn't find a room going into second year at Western? I, I'm not sure. Um, do I want well, my kids making a video? How do I feel if I'm the roommates or the landlord? I'm not sure about any of that stuff, but here's what she laid out. And again, there's no reason to doubt her story. Here's what Alexandra Musser said about her experience looking for a room. It was so rare to have somebody get back to me, and when they did, it was, sorry, we don't have space for you. Sorry, we don't think you're a good match. Sorry, we're out of your budget. And just getting denied over and over and over again was so, so stressful and so painful. There's so much competition, she didn't have much choice. Finally settling for this. One room of a house shared with six other students. She's paying a hefty $840 a month. Absolutely disgusting. This water doesn't actually run at all. You can see all the browning and water damage. This is around the entire baseboard of the house. It smells really bad, too. Okay, again, if you're the landlord and and you're catching wind of that video, I I don't know how you feel necessarily about that. Um, Not great, I would assume. But this is a common problem for university and college students seemingly everywhere. And there's a lot of reasons as to why. And I'd make the case, mayors, municipalities, they want to build. They've finally got more freedom to build than they had 6, 12, 18 months ago to accommodate new students coming to Guelph, new people coming to their communities. Um, But... But it's not going to be a short-term process. I want to bring on the mayor of Guelph. We're happy when he joins the show. He is Cam Guthrie. Mayor Guthrie, thanks very much for the time today. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Where, where, where do things stand for you and your community? And how much of these stories, like the one we just played, end up crossing your desk? City councilors bring it to you. And, and again, in your conversations with people at the university, which is a great school, how much do you hear from university uh, professors at MINS about these problems? Well, it, it's a lot more often than it was a few years ago. And I've been the, the mayor. This is my third term now. So I, I usually never heard from uh, parents, from students, from uh, the university uh, there was no issue of capacity issues for housing for students until the last probably two years. So it's really something that's new. I would also probably kind of divide the issue from that clip that you just played yeah. into two. One, one is sort of like property standards, um, you know, tenant and landlord issues. Those can all be handled under provincial, sort of the provincial legislation, provincial name. And then on our end of it, as you rightly said, is is really the supply side. Like, where is the housing that is going to be able to be accommodated for students? And, yeah, that's something that we have a role to play um, in as well. Where do you view the three levels of government? I know it was quite something for the prime minister to say housing is not a federal government responsibility. And many people perked their uh, eyebrows up and said, why even have a housing minister? Why promise in an election platform that you can help with building new housing? You're not doing it out of the goodness of your heart. How how should the three levels of government in your mind uh, gel together and work together to end this crisis? 
Well, I, I've said this out loud several times. And we need to get together like we did when COVID hit us. Because, if, you know, government can be very slow. And, but when there's a crisis, we can come together. We can, you know, I always jokingly yeah. say, throw, throw everybody in a room, lock the door, throw a pizza under the door for an hour and get it done. And I really believe we could we could actually get that done if the three of us could, uh, you know, get into a room and, and get this figured out. There is a role for every level of government to play in. Um, finger pointing uh, does not help the crisis at all, and so that's why I've always been trying to call everyone into the into the room together. Because at the end of the day, it's the people like that student or families, uh, international students that are trying to come to schools. Uh, across our country that are actually struggling uh, when we're trying to find housing. Cam Guthrie is our guest, uh, mayor of Guelph. I think you nailed it. And I think that's the right analogy is is to the pandemic. It's get your vaccine a ASAP, uh, using other words in the middle there. And we acted like there was um, a, an absolute fire. So we took fire hoses to those particular fires and tried to bring those to communities and, and insulated our hospitals. I would make the case we didn't do this properly even with education. Um, the house is on fire when kids have been either out of school or learning on a screen for 22 months. And last fall, we should have acted like it was an emergency. And I feel like we just, well, school again, and we just went back to business as usual for housing, for education, for healthcare, for so much else. We just sort of, you know, are, are breathing and living like it's 2017 and it's not. I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, I, I really believe that sometimes the reality on the ground that people are facing is not being heard sometimes by upper levels of government to the urgency that the call is being made. And uh, municipalities like Guelph and others are, are, are literally ready to go. We just need upper levels of government to also help. And that's not, that's not passing the buck. There's a role for municipalities to play, but there is help that must come from the upper levels of government. I, I believe it was, and I'm probably paraphrasing this a little bit yeah. wrong, but Hazel McCallion was so great at saying this one line years and years and years ago. The federal government has all the money. The provincial government makes all the rules, and municipalities have all the problems. <laughs> and that's mm -hmm. such a great analogy of what's happening on the ground in cities. Uh, we do need the upper levels of government to come to the table. Yeah, it's a, it's, I, I like the statement, and the statement often rings true. We had so much downloading. You and I were notably uh, younger then, but there was so much downloading from the Harris government in 97, 98 to the municipalities, and they were like, we've got brand new responsibilities, brand new, you know, again, use the analogy, fires to put out, and we have no revenue stream. We have no, we can't collect sales tax. We get nothing except property taxes and development fees and now you've put put this burden on us i would note you know this as well there's a lot of municipalities that need to sort of shake off the nimby thing play ball like it's like it is a, a crisis and an emergency and and not be dissuaded mississauga is often criticized under hazel mccallion under its current mayor too as a place that's that's just not building enough and saying no more than yes i know your community is i see the numbers and your community is really moving in the right direction with housing starts and building we are where our, our our permits are up and we're we're doing what we can i think the one thing that your listeners and and many others need to hear though is municipalities don't build housing, whether it's student housing, market housing, 
um, social services types of housing. We don't build, but we do approve. And so right. that's where municipalities often um, you know, get criticized. Well, why aren't you building more houses? Well, we, we don't. We approve. And uh, that's why we need lots of partners with this housing issue. And we really need the nonprofit development community. We need the for-profit development community. And we need the upper levels of government to help with municipalities and partner uh, positively to try to uh, battle this crisis that we're in on getting shovels in the ground as soon as possible. Attitude about this whole issue is probably one of the biggest things. And that's why I say, you know, it's, we can all point fingers and, and blame and blame and blame, but the people on the ground, the families, the students, the people that are homeless, etc., these are the people we have to remember every single day when we get up that they are struggling with housing Mm. and we need to come together as quickly as possible to help them. One thing in the universe, last thing, and it's a university uh, and sometimes community college relationship with cities and municipalities and towns is you, you know that there's been an explosion of international enrollments massively. So I know Conestoga is more Kitchener, but they're kind of neighbors to you. They've, they've got 12,000, they had 12,800 international students two years ago in school They had 763 eight years ago. They've added 12,000 students. Now, you know and I know in Kitchener or if you go to Lambton College in Sarnia, Fanshawe in London, housing hasn't kept up with that amount of for international students, let alone other residents. That just seems to be a real disconnect there for all these international students to come and then have nowhere to live. Uh, look, I would agree with you on that, um, and it's not just pointing at Conestoga College. No, great. In fact, we in fact we just had a an announcement with Conestoga College. They're doing about a ninety million dollar investment in our downtown core with a, a brand new campus with four to five thousand new students coming to the city of Guelph in the next couple of years, and that's fantastic. But guess what? The first question was that flew into my office: Where are they going to live? <laughs> Where are these students going to be mm-hmm. coming to live? So not only do we have the University of Guelph, which is great, but we have Conestoga College here locally. And one of the things that I think there needs to be some responsibility on with uh, different schools, universities, and colleges is really doing a lot of strategic planning around housing. I know that our University of Guelph is, is doing that. I know that housing is an important piece to Conestoga College as well. Uh, so they are working in this, in this area, and we're going to have to work alongside with them as well, along with developers as well to try to figure out how are we going to increase the supply of homes for these students that are coming. I hear you. Uh, Mayor Guthrie, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate your candidacy on uh, on an important issue and and glad you're so invested in it. We'll uh, we'll do this again sometime soon. Anytime. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. There's Cam Guthrie, Mayor of Guelph. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Normal sleep last night um, because there's a break in the FIFA Women's World Cup schedule. I'm obsessed with the tournament. I know Canada crashed out. I even know the uh, polarizing Americans are out. Here's what I still won't get. I won't get this. And I'm fascinated to get a proper answer. The next two games are Thursday evening in in like Eastern primetime, Spain and the Netherlands. Why is that in primetime? Because they thought the USA would win their group and the American television networks asked, demanded, I assume, that they get U.S. primetime games. So that's nine Eastern, six Pacific. I mean, I can work with that, sort of. You can probably work with that. That game's in New Zealand and it starts at 1 p.m. on Friday afternoon. Makes sense. The next game, Japan, Sweden. Like, I really want to watch that. It's on at 3.30 in the morning. 
Why does that have to in Auckland? Why does that have to get played at 730 local time in Auckland? I have no idea about this. Remember Ben Johnson winning in Seoul? Like for about two days, he was the gold medalist. And then I remember getting told in the high school parking lot where all us guys would hang out. No women anywhere, by the way. I have no idea why we didn't figure that out. We're in the wrong place. But but somebody, Matt Talbot, a friend of mine, came up and said, did you hear um, Ben Johnson tested positive for steroids? And we're like, well, that's that. And we all got in our individual cars and left. I cannot figure out this time difference. That race was on at 10 o'clock. Eastern time on a Friday night. There's like no accommodation um, for the rest of us here. I can't figure this out. Um, I don't think our next guest wants any part of this. Adam Seaborn's head of partnerships at Playmaker Capital. How about a 28 minute podcast uh, with you and me on start times for the Women's World Cup? You want downloads? I'll get you downloads with my hot (laughs) takes on women's start times in Auckland, New Zealand for the quarterfinals, Adam. I really will. Uh, listen, we could talk start times for a long time, and, and good to be with you, Greg. I mean, listen, it's funny because because uh, start times are, I feel like, one of those things people love to complain about, and the answer is always the exact same thing. It was negotiated in a TV contract months or years ago. <laughs> That's always the answer. There's no really other like secret agenda happening. No one at the NFL is trying to you know screw over your team, which people love to talk about. Oh, we got flexed into this game. It's all about the TV dollars, and it's usually been negotiated months in advance. That was my favorite bit for years. With the Raptors, the first few years they started making the playoffs again in the Dwayne Casey years, and they'd get Saturday at noon would be the first game, and they're like, they're just trying, and then all of a sudden, a few years later, well, they got Kawhi Leonard. How about a 5.30 game? And people are like, well, I bet they were trying to screw us and just couldn't find a way to put our game on at noon, and I'm like, maybe, or they're trying to get the, the best games and the best matchups on closer to primetime. It could be that. What? Well, and people never talk about when it works in your favor, right? For years, the Raptors had that Sunday afternoon game, and they used to win. They'd be like, you know, 15-point dogs, and they'd still win because the other team had been out till 3 in the morning on King Street on Saturday night. <laughs> so when it works in your favor, no one's complaining. And the Amer- you, you'd remember this, too. When I was living in the States, Vince Carter was with the Raptors, and Vince Carter would get the Raptors on national television. So if you've got a super-duper star... They want to see that player like there was there'd be no interest in the San Antonio Spurs if they didn't keep having superstars on their team. It's not much of a brand, but they have Tim Duncan and then they have Kawhi Leonard and then they have, you know, other players that are worth watching. That's how, again, you and I should be running television networks and not having this conversation uh, right here. When this franchise evaluation came out, I saw you tweeted it and I thought. Yes, like this will this will shock most Toronto sports fans, even the casuals, that the Raptors would be valued at one point two billion dollars more than our local beloved hockey team. But it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yeah. So so uh, reporting comes out, you know, usually once a year, there's two groups that usually do it. Forbes has done it for years. And famously, I mean, Gary Bettman's come out and said that these numbers are are, are hogwash. Um, Sportico does really good reporting here and annually kind of puts out their pro sports valuation. So they put it out just yesterday. They ranked all 152 of the big five North American sports. Now, the fact that they said big five sports, we can get into in a second. Yeah. But for, for you know, Canadians and for Leaf fans or, or Raptors fans here in the city, um, they might be surprised to see that the Raptors are valued at $3.34 billion, uh, uh, you know, 1.2 billion, some odd more than the, than the Leafs. Uh, I think that 10 years ago, 
uh, Tim Lywicki said something like this was going to happen. So I guess Tim Lywicki gets a pat on the back for being right. But I think this is shocking to a lot of people. Uh, now, if you take a step back and think about, you know, why are they valued that way? The economics of the NBA versus the NHL, it does make sense. But just on paper to think, well, the Raptors don't have nearly as much mind share as the Leafs. They don't sell tickets for as much money. How can they be worth so much more? It's an interesting little study. And the whole list from Sportico going down to the, the whole 152 big teams, there's a lot of kind of insights you can pull out of it. Yeah, the NBA deal, by the way, per year, for listeners who wouldn't know, is worth almost $2.7 billion a year, and that's only going to go up. I know they just signed a couple years ago. The NHL has another four years with their particular U.S. deal, but it's $610 million a year. Like, you're talking five times the money for the television contract that each franchise would get. So right away, your value is worth more, period. Yeah, and when you look at, like, so what goes into a team's value? What what actually makes a pro sports team valuable? I, it's totally flipped on its head in, in our lifetimes from, you know, gate revenue and local media rights being the most important to the national media rights being the real straw that stirs the drink. So when you look at the NBA and you look at the Raptors' value, more than half of that 3.34 billion valuation really is a result of what you just said. The national TV rights deal, which is about, it's 2.66 billion. That's a combination of money from Disney, from ESPN and ABC and from Warner Brothers Discovery. Now, that deal ends in 2024-25. So after that season, Mm -hmm. um, they are in negotiation, and and Adam Silver is... Uh, openly negotiating with with the likes of Bob Iger and David Zasloff, the CEOs of, of Warner Brothers and Disney, respectively. He's, you know, a- Adam Silver is, is quite close with Apple. He's known to be, a, you know, friends with Tim Cook and, and a big Apple fan. A lot of people think that Apple could be a, a suitor there. I suspect a streaming service will be involved, but they've openly said the NBA that they're looking to double the media rights deal. So they want to go from 2.6 billion. They want to double that number. Now that seems mm-hmm. 5 billion mm-hmm. plus seems again, unfathomable when you think of the NHL rights being, as you said, in the U S about 600 million, but these TV rights deals are a reflection of the league's ability and, and the team's abilities to market their sport, both locally in, in the U S and Canada and internationally to build stars of their players, to drive advertising revenue and TV eyeballs and ticket and gate and merch. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, the NBA is different than hockey. Basketball is different than hockey. Fair enough. It may be. But there was a time when these leagues were, you know, 1A, 1B in terms of market size just 30 years ago or maybe a little bit less. And now it's, you know, a 5, 7X multiple. Yeah, they, they sure were. And I even think, you know, for the Leafs, I think attendance matters, merch matters, um, all the all the getting people in the building matters. You went to a few playoff games against the Lightning and Panthers. You know what that vibe is. But an NFL team, Adam, I think people need to realize the Dallas Cowboys rated at nine point two billion dollars by Sportico. They could close the doors, play in front of an empty stadium, sell nothing in the stadium and their TV deal and the associated worth of just being associated with the Cowboys. They'd still make a ton of money. An NHL team could never, ever say that. Yeah, that's right. And, we, and listen, we should say, Greg, that the Leafs are the most valuable NHL team. So from a NHL perspective, you know, credit to the Leafs. They do a great job of building value, you know, between the Leafs, mm-hmm. the Rangers and the Habs. Those are all, you know, close to two billion. Uh, the Leafs are over two billion dollars. The the Habs just under two and the Rangers around two. So listen, these get, these are great franchises. Original six teams have built out value for years, but the league around them obviously hasn't. Um, and I think what troubles people or maybe what is interesting to people is that um, 
you know, there, there's a world where it was the big four sports in, in the U.S. Now, now people talk about the big five sports leagues in the U.S., and a lot of people actually think MLS will be slowly overtaking or maybe quickly overtaking the NHL. If you look at this ranking and, and take this with whatever you will say, but the LAFC are ranked in terms of value above 17 NHL teams. So yeah. above half the league, there's an MLS team worth more than them. There's only five MLS teams that are worth less than the Arizona Coyotes. So if you look at this and you want to you know, do an analysis of how is the NHL as a business performed, yes, they've grown, salaries have gone up, but n- not nearly as much as other sports, right? Like not as much as the NBA, not as much as a new league, Major League Soccer, not nearly as much as the NFL. And it's not a foregone conclusion that these are going to be the big four, or the big five leagues. I mean, there was a time when boxing and horse racing were the number one and number two sport in North America, and that's not the case anymore. And the NFL wasn't always dominant, right? The NFL's only yeah. been around in its current iteration for so many years. So it's a little bit of a question of what is the NHL to do to continue to grow, or or do they even want to? And in-game, I'll tell you, we got it under a minute, but in-game attendance is still so important to some of these leagues to fill seats. I, I've been at a lot of Toronto FC games this year. There's a lot of empty seats. People are pretty dissatisfied. And guess what? Um, when it was your local team and there wasn't a lot on TV and you got six channels, you tended to go to the games, but if they're not making it worth my while to pay the money and truck down to BMO field, there's a lot of soccer on TV. There's a lot of basketball on TV. If the Raptors go belly up also like people have options. Absolutely. They do. And I mean, listen, Toronto FC again, amazing case study showing the growth of MLS. I think that's a great mm-hmm. operation. MLS has done a great job with Toronto FC. They've won a championship. They brought in star players. They paid a lot of money for coaches. They've renovated the stadium. You know, they were bought for 10 some odd million in 07. They're now worth 700 million, right? So they've grown a lot, but that's the growth of soccer, growth of MLS. There's no NHL team that's had that kind of multiple growth. No, not in the least. Hey, Adam, love getting your insights on this stuff. We'll do it again really soon. Appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot, Greg. You bet. Adam Seaborn from Playmaker Capital joining us. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Okay, I can't prove this. I can't prove this, so I don't know if it's true, but we were sort of going through a, a list of uh, do's and don'ts on the Taylor Swift front. By the way, Greg Brady, Lyle Ravichaud is in for uh, Shiba Siddiqui um, for the rest of the week. And next week, and Gord Rennie, our technical director, is with us. Danny Longo, news top of the hour. I should point out, and Lyle, I don't know if you know this or not, but Sheba uh, took her daughter to go see Taylor Swift in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, the, down in Nashville, I remember. Right, the Nashville that I mentioned. And I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, and it was, uh, but but it was she she was like desperate to take her because her daughter loves Taylor Swift, and I said go to. We go to Ford Field in Detroit, or my next door neighbors went to Pittsburgh. Go to, go to Heinz Field. Go drive. Make this easier on you. But they want to go to Nashville, incorporated in, and I don't know what the final tally was, Gord. I mean, you know, um, yeah, it's not easy to to predict what Sheba spent on the trip to take her daughter down there. Um, but they they spent some coin. I feel like the tickets. I, I don't think she'd mind saying this because I think she said this on the air. We're in the six hundred dollar range. Yeah, U.S. Yeah, I feel like I think that's what she said. Yeah, and then you add the flight and the hotel on top of that, and so yeah, it's a. But she said they they had the time of her life and right. so did her daughter. So I think in those terms, it's it's well worth it. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, they could they could be quite estranged in a couple of years. Anything that daughter's not a teenager yet. Yeah, so anything can happen. Um, but there's sort of do's and don'ts for the uh, Taylor Swift strategy. I just thought let's let's do something on the fly here, Lyle, and look up 
hotel rooms on that date on Expedia in Toronto between November 14th. I, I was looking to book in for the 15th, have a nice little two-night stay on the 15th and 16th, check out on the Sunday, you know, have a leisurely brunch on my way out. I can't find very much at all. I see the Windsor Arms Hotel has a price per night of 1019 Canadian dollars, not pesos, dollars. And uh, I'm seeing a lot of people put Air and Airbnbs up. I'm seeing one. I won't name it, but there's a place in Mississauga, and this is not about Mississauga, but it just looks like a warehouse. It, it looks like something out of the, one of the first couple Saw movies where the victims were taken <laughs> to. It's uh, the best way I can put it. I'm on my Airbnb app, and I have one from November 13th, so like the day before the first show, to like the 30th, and it's Steps from the Rogers Center. So Is it really? Yeah, How, like 300 what? a night. 400,000 steps from the Rogers Center? No, the little map is, is the little the condo is is That person's been asleep for uh, yeah, for they, a week. They have not yeah. updated their Airbnb yeah, site appropriately. They're underselling themselves as of right it, now. Thank yeah. you. Exactly. So I don't know what Now that said, I just went to the Marriott website. Marriott Bonvoy, don't you know? And I couldn't book past July 2020. Like I don't know what the earliest anybody books anything is. Like when do what's the earliest you could even book a flight for something? Could I book a flight for any time in what if I want to fly somewhere April 10th, 2025? Could I book that now? I, 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 I feel like you can. I don't think yeah. you can book it now, but I, I know to go home for New Brunswick for Christmas, I've booked that about 10 months out. I think oh, you can okay. book I think anything a year out is within that window. Like I'm yeah. planning on taking my then 16-year-old to Germany next summer in June, but I can't book the dates until I know when my other son's high school graduation is. So, uh, first world problems. Stop texting me and saying that. Yeah. You should you should be in my shoes once in a while. Anyway, um, but I'm I I think I, I can book that now because it's less than than less than twelve months away. But I think I checked last Christmas and I couldn't because it was seventeen months away. Yeah, I thought there was like a, a limit of this so is, far ahead. This is just so unusual to sell anything in advance. 16, 17 months. Not I can't just selling just, something, buying something and saying, oh, in a year's time, I know I'm going to be free for this. Anything can happen in a year. Anything can happen. But I think you know when you've got sort of that destination, people plan their weddings out that far in advance and they book those places, right? And they get things organized. And maybe the maybe they want to make sure the DJ is set. And yeah, you don't want the DJ to drop dead after you book him or her in that 17. Uh, you're right. Anything could happen. But I think people plan stuff out there like, Oh, I'm going to go to the Olympics or I'm going to go to the next, you know, like I, I would say this 2026, the World Cup of Soccer has games in Toronto. I bet you there's people thinking I'd like to go to those when they couldn't possibly have a clue what the matchups. They sure don't know what the teams are going to be and they don't know what the dates and times of the games are going to be. Yeah, that's a good point. But I'm they one of those think, people. right, you think to yourself, I'm going to get to one or two of those games. And I don't know that you're budgeting for it. So, like, the things I learned coming in this morning and doing the show is it's just two shows today, 11 a.m. and 1 p.m., and they're just the first two dates. And then there's a pair of shows that go on sale Thursday, same times, and then the last two shows go on sale Friday. So, unlike a lot of our listeners, I'm convinced that if you're on the wait list right now, I think a lot of waitlist people are going to be happy about this. And and then naturally, I know what's going to happen. I know... I know what television, uh, what happens with television. You're going to get P 
people, hopefully they'll cry or be really frustrated. And those will be the only, there won't be a news story about all the satisfied, verified fans that got <laughs> tickets scored. They'll just yeah. be the unsatisfied, verified fans that didn't get tickets with their unique access code. They got yeah. left out. They got screwed by the system. Yes. Little Anna, who's 14 and just loves right. Taylor Swift, is crying on the sidewalk. That's right. Um, <laughs> hopefully there isn't too much wrong with Anna. Like, she wasn't, like, you know, born without bones or something like that. Like, you don't, I don't want to see too sad a story in my local news, but I'll understand if if they if they look for the, you well, know. Well, there's always those, but then there's always the... <laughs> The, the rally around you from could, people that, that, you know, that say you can have my tickets. There's always the good in people. That's what they did, they did on that. What was that show called with uh, Ty where he'd build um, somebody a house? Oh, yeah. oh Extreme Move Makeover. That bus. That's not the, but I don't think that's the name of the show, is it? I think it's Extreme Makeover Extreme Home Makeover Home Edition. Home yeah. Edition. yeah. But yeah. He, he'd build you a house from scratch or you'd just take a dilapidated house and, and, uh, and. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. I, 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 he I, just I, tore the inside of the house that was there out and built built the new okay. one inside for them yeah. and then left them with the bill for the taxes that came with it. Oh, I'm getting this text. That's a great point. I'm getting this text message. Plus, also working in jeans. Not te- it's not always... Co- like I don't think you can put a whole day in in jeans. No. I see people going for walks on hot days wearing jeans and I'm like, it felt like somebody... Did your car break down? Yeah. Why would you, why would you do that? Especially in construction. I can't. It's just, it's like, there's a lot of stretching involved. <laughs> and- Wear those pants. There's chainsaw-proof pants. But you're choosing, you're not choosing comfort and you're not choosing protection either. That chainsaw could go through those jeans. Oh, yeah. Easy. Even the rivet parts, you'd, you'd the metal parts. You'd have to be wearing parts. like a, a knight from medieval times costume <laughs> for, to prevent a chainsaw from going through your femur. Um, we get a great text in. Our, our listeners are so informed regularly. Airline tickets you can only buy 330 days out. So it's not even 365. Okay. so You yeah. can only buy an airline ticket 330 days in advance. But I bet you you can't book a hotel room. Mm, 18 months in advance. I think you're on the safe side here, given some of the some of the prices in the in downtown Toronto for that November weekend. So it's interesting to think that you can have your lodgings, but not necessarily have your travel lined up. Right. Yeah, that's true. Would you? Why book the hotel? But you can cancel the hotel. True. You can't. can't a, fl- a flight is a lot harder to cancel than a hotel. Hotels still give you like what? T- like it's 48 hours in some cases, right? Yeah, there's there's usually you can give quite a bit of notice to cancel a hotel, but for airlines, there's always going to be a hoop to jump through and fees to pay and all that fun so stuff. So I bet you, since we're really diving in on the Taylor Swift ticket sale pregame show here, <laughs> I would bet you there's a lot of hotels booked that people aren't going to keep because yes. they're not going to get tickets. Yeah, because they're sure. not going to get they're not going to fly in from Edmonton. They're not going to fly in. And by the way, why didn't you go to Billings, Montana, or Shea in Wyoming and see? Well, those those don't have NFL stadiums, so she probably didn't come to Montana no. or Wyoming. Why didn't you go to Seattle? Maybe they don't have a passport. Maybe that too. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, tickets on sale, eleven a.m. this morning, one p.m. tomorrow. I'd love to hear from people on the show tomorrow who were successful in getting tickets or who moved up the ladder a little bit.